Hello and welcome to Euractiv's AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Fett. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's AgriFood team. So a pretty interesting piece of news that we've been looking at this week that actually hasn't come from the world of agriculture, which is very interesting. Um, it's come from uh, the world of health. Um, so obviously, well, in case you guys don't know, we also double as, uh, as health reporters in our spare time. I think our listeners are probably already aware of that. But yes, we, we were both health reporters. In between all of our agri-food reporting. and um, I'd, I'd say we, we, we are full of surprises. I know, I know. Just follow, follow them. I, mean, I have to be honest, I haven't written any agri-food stories so far in this week because I mostly follow this uh, US AstraZeneca route. It's so. been a big week for health, so I think, I think we'll let you off. But actually, it's paid off this week that we're health reporters because we've made this interesting connection between something that happened in health. So this week, we've had a sneak peek of um, the EU cancer plan. Uh, this is the Europe's beating cancer plan. Um, and this plan basically um, was intended to be presented in December, but um, it's been delayed and it's planning to be unveiled um, next week. And so the, the point of the plan is basically to, um, to combat cancer in the EU. And, you know, despite the COVID crisis stealing the spotlight over the last few months, this EU-wide plan um, has remained one of the key priorities of Ursula von der Leyen's commission when it comes to public health. So it's a pretty big deal. And so, yeah, it aims to kind of support and coordinate like member states efforts in beating cancer and it's a very comprehensive approach um, to tackling cancer that goes through all stages from prevention to diagnostic um, and treatment. So we had a look at a draft version of the cancer plan um, and something that kind of stood out to us that was pretty interesting that there was actually a, a, an interesting agri-food angle as well. Um, more than in one, the cancer plan. More than one, actually several. And that is why maybe until now you're thinking, why is she talking about the cancer plan? Well, this is why. Um, so uh, within the cancer plan, obviously, like I said, it's a very comprehensive approach to tackling cancer. And as part of that, it also aims to, to deal with the nutritional um, aspects of cancer and how we can promote healthy eating um, and healthy uh, nutrition um, in, in the prevention of cancer. Sounds like the farm to fork strategy. It is a bit like the farm to fork strategy, yeah. From farm to fork, what would the equivalent be from farm to fork? From oh, <laughs> this is tough. Huh? Yeah, I just I, imagine all, all the all the best heads in in the commission uh, trying to figure out a, a credible name, and they come up <laughs> with the farm to fork strategy. So I know, and this one is just the beating cancer plan. You know, it's just straight up. I actually discovered on uh, on um, Deplion of EFSA, the Food Safety Agency, uh, dating back to 2014, that, that they already used the term f- from farm to fork. So yeah. it's not that original as it might seem. EFSA eh? probably uh, used it first. So And then the commission stole it. That's quite an accusation there. Toronto. I mean, not. I mean, it's inspired, <laughs> being inspired. Inspired by, inspired by. Okay, it's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so in the cancer plan, it has this, like I said, this this focus on nutrition, and as part of that, um, there's a section in the draft, and you know, I have to stress that it's obviously a draft. There's still there's still time that this could change 
between now and, and when it's going to be unveiled um, next week. But also because the draft is from uh, December. Exactly. Yeah. So it may well have already changed, but it, but it is interesting to see this this focus and this agri food link. And as part of that, there's a section talking about. Uh, marketing and advertising um, and how this is designed to influence um, the choices that consumers make and how this um, communications on unhealthy food and drinks, how they influence um, consumer choice. And as part of that, the cancer plan, uh, the, the draft that we've seen, says that the EU promotion policy for agricultural products will be reviewed in view of phasing out the promotion of foods linked with cancer risks. And um, th for this, they've included um, red and processed meat. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. They did it. I know, I know. And I'm sure our listeners will remember, you know, there was this controversy um, back with the presentation of the farm to fork strategy, how it tackled this issue of, um, of red and processed meat. Um, because actually in a draft version of the farm to fork strategy, um, it had a pretty strong stance against um, stopping, stimulating production and consumption of meat, and this didn't make the final cut. Um, but nevertheless, um, there's still a reference um, in the farm to fork strategy um, to encouraging people to consume less red and processed meat. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting to see this reference in the cancer plan and kind of see how these, you know, these policies are aligning between health um, and agri-food and how these can, you know, be better aligned. You also remember um, another um, clash, let's say, because mm. the commission was accused and there was this uh, beefy, become beefitarian campaign yeah. that received EU funding, which is basically what we're talking about. So uh, there are some EU promotion programs, for instance, there's one uh, annual uh, promotion program that intends to, again, promote European products uh, abroad. And when I say abroad, I say to third countries. So there was this um, this program, this commission-funded project that aimed to promote Spanish meat products like chorizo and, and, and famous uh, um, you know, worldwide famous products, but some MEPs wrote a letter criticizing this uh, project because that would ultimately have the effects of promoting the consumption of uh, meat products. And uh, and again, they have this very strong uh, slogan that was uh, become beefitarian. No, the commission is not responsible for the content. Uh, but at the same time, it was under attack uh, because, again, as you said, farm to, the farm to fork strategy supports a shift toward more uh, uh, plant-based diets. And if you see mm -hmm. uh, the last uh, program uh, for the promotion of EU agri-food products uh, in and, and outside the EU, uh, the one that actually will, again, will last until the, the end of the year, the, the commission intends to prioritize organic products fruits, vegetables, and sustainable agriculture. This could have been, uh, you know, perceived as a course of correction after the beefy Italian outcry. And now we have uh, a thousand of times, it's a draft, but um, this could be even, not another blow, but I mean, it, it, it's quite controversial because again, it's, it's we're talking about the phase out of the promotion of uh, meat products. And again, the marketing campaign are, are literally overwhelmed by, for instance, uh, 
advertising funded by the EU uh, on uh, European meat products. Yeah, and, and like you said, for 2021, you know, the focus is really on organic products, on increasing veg- vegetable consumption, fruit and vegetables, but there's no mention of meat um, from, from what I can see. I actually um, asked the commission for some information on this. You, do your, you did your job. I did, yeah, I did my, my background research. Um, and um, so, yeah, they they provided me with a list of products that are eligible for promotion, which does actually include meat, technically. Um, but yeah, they, they did stress this kind of um, focus in 2021 on organic and on, uh, on fruit and veg. And actually, this news that we've got this week about the, the cancer plan has coincided with um, the publication of the 2021 calls for proposals for grants for agri-promotion measures. Um, and, you know, definitely there, there was a there was a, an event about this, actually. Um, what a coincidence. This week. What a coincidence, I know. Um, there was an event um, on this week where this was being discussed and kind of, you know, what this meant in terms, in real terms, was being put forward. And definitely the focus was strongly on organic and sustainable production without much mention of meat. So that's quite interesting to see to see whether that will be included in the promotional policy or not and how this will kind of, uh, how this will play out between the two plans um, and how they will be aligned. There are also other agri-food bits in the leaked oh. cancer plan, right? Yes, yes, indeed. You're right. You're right, indeed. Yeah. Um, actually, there's a, a very interesting section on um, tax incentives. Which doesn't sound very interesting, you say it like that, but but it is. Trust me, it is. Bear with me. Um, it sounds impactful, like you know, powerful. Yeah. You, the, if you you know adjust tax uh, in order to to have a, a particular effect, it's it's quite powerful. So yeah, and in this case, the draft. I'm still saying draft, like emphasizing that, but um, the draft um, speaks about tax incentives to contribute to facilitate. Um, healthy lifestyles. Basically, um, it, put forward, it puts forward this idea that the Commission will publish a study on different fiscal measures and pricing policies on sugars, soft drinks and alcoholic beverages. And it says that following this, uh, this study, um, which um, is planned for 2022, um, the Commission will consider the feasibility of proposing new tax measures on soft drinks and sugars. Uh, so that's also pretty interesting. It has a pretty, a pretty big effect on uh, on the agri food sector. Yeah, co- combined to the the phase out of the meat uh, promotion. Yeah, it's it's uh... strong. Yeah, it's strong. Um, phase out of meat and pre- red and processed meat. Um, tax measures on sugar, soft drinks, and alcoholic beverages. And, indeed, indeed. And and also there's there's um of course it's part of the prevention part of this cancer plan and there's a. Uh, uh, the part that say that use action will this use action to tackle um, cancer will also involve the um, exposure of young people to this product to this product uh, meaning uh, basically alcoholic beverages uh, so reduction of online marketing uh, advertising of of alcoholic beverages uh, so yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's quite tough um again it's it's um you know it's reasonable let's say uh but more than one uh, stakeholder wouldn't be happy <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I can imagine, yeah. I, I said before that I haven't written any agriculture art, article. That's a lie. Well, half well, truth. Well, half mm, truth. Half truth. It's a half truth. Because we published a video explainer on uh, agricultural statistics this week. Mm-hmm. But it was filmed last week, so that's why. And there's basically me talking about statistics and figures that could help us understanding new trends in agriculture, evaluating uh, policies like the common agricultural policy, the farm to food strategy. So it, it's quite interesting. And uh, as a teaser of this uh, video explainer, we also asked uh, um, the Director of Strategy, Simplification and Policy Analysis in the Commission, DG Agri, uh, Tasso Saniotis. Um, and we asked him to tell us a bit more uh, which kind of st- statistics are available on the Commission's website. So uh, let's hear from him. If you ever wondered what we do, with a available wealth of statistics and indicators in DGAGRI, this is as rapid as a summary as it gets. They provide the first source of information on the state of the farming economy, allow the monitoring of the environmental footprint of the farming sector, reflect the social dimension of changes in farming and rural areas, feed econometric models to produce the baseline that is the long-term outlook for reuse agriculture, underpin policy scenarios about the impact of changes in the cap, in trade, and in other policy areas affecting agriculture, and gradually but steadily become more user-friendly for you all to enjoy. So we're here today with Gianluca Brunori, who is the chair of the EU Commission's Standing Committee on Agricultural Research. Um, and also he's a professor of food policy at the University of Pisa. And um, he's here today to talk a little bit about uh, an interesting report that came out recently. Um, so, John Luca, could you just briefly kind of give an outline of what exactly the aim of the report was um, and give a, a, a brief summary on its main outcomes? Uh, maybe you know that SCAR is the Standing Committee uh, for Agricultural Research. And it's a body uh, within the the European Commission uh, uh, to which uh, member states uh, participate uh, and have a a consultancy role for the research policies of uh, the European Commission in the field of agriculture. And uh, one of the activities of SCAR is uh, the foresight uh, reports. Actually, this is the fifth uh, report And in this case, the mandate uh, that was uh, given to a group of experts of which uh, I was the the chair uh, was to identify the research pathways to achieve a safe and just operating space. Maybe you know that this concept of a safe and just operating space comes from uh, a body of literature that uh, uh, considered the importance of uh, planetary boundaries, so biophysical uh, indicators that should not trespass if uh, we don't want that our system uh, becomes instable. But at the same time, this just uh, um, operating space uh, is related to the uh, Donut economy of Kate Rowart uh, that uh, says that uh, we should have also 
um, a kind of uh, social uh, ceiling related to uh, social indicators. So in order to achieve sustainable development, uh, we should have uh, both a biophysical, uh, uh, let's say, limit, uh, and at the same time, the social, to, to safeguard uh, social indicators. And uh, uh, we had uh, as a points of reference uh, uh, the climate change agreements in Paris and the sustainable development goals. And in order to do this, uh, we identified uh, 11 indicators uh, related to biophysical aspects and uh, social aspects uh, that, uh, in, in our view, Europe should achieve in order to, uh, to stay into this uh, safe and just operating space. And uh, we focused very much on what we call a transition. So how to achieve these goals in uh, 30 years time. And uh, in order to do this, uh, we identified three pathways. The first pathway is related to uh, diets and nutrition. Uh, we uh, take the concept of a sustainable diet, that is uh, a set of rules that uh, the respect of which would uh, be helpful for the body and helpful for the planet. So if people is able to respect these dietary rules, they would uh, at the same time have a, a good health and at the same time, um, let's say, respect the, the, the resources of the planet. And in order to do this, uh, we need behavioral change. So consumers behavior changing and at the same time, production rules changing, because in order to have a, a sustainable diet, you have to, to have a sustainable consumption and sustainable uh, production. Uh, the second pathway is related to circularity. Uh, we endorsed the concept of a circular economy and we apply a circular economy both to the primary sector, which is a circular in nature, but actually with the conventional and in industrial uh, agriculture has, uh, uh, let's say, get a little bit far from this model. But at the same time, uh, we want to link this, um, uh, this uh, circular economy approach to the food system as a whole. So the idea is that there should be uh, a long series of cycles in which uh, waste is, uh, um, let's say, removed from the agenda and uh, is cancelled. Uh, the, the third pathway is related to uh, diversity. Uh, we are aware that the present food system are very uh, detrimental to uh, diversity, especially biodiversity. And we think that in order to restore biodiversity, but also socio and economic diversity, we need to uh, be proactive in diversifying primary systems, production system, distribution systems, and also consumption systems. So the uh, diversity becomes a keyword for the transformation of the food system. So this is the 
uh, let's say the, the the main achievements but at the same time uh, during our work uh, the coronavirus uh, occurred and, and so we had to start a reflection on the validity of these uh, objectives yeah indeed indeed it's um, uh... Again, this is uh, there have been four uh, such expert foresight reports since uh, 2007. So, uh, similarly, looking at the the challenges facing uh, agriculture at the food system, but as you said, now uh, COVID uh, could have changed the the entire framework. And and how has COVID changed the focus of this report compared to to the previous, for instance? Actually, uh, the, the first question we had in this regard was that our conclusions uh, robust in, li- in the light of the uh, coronavirus or not. And actually, we started with a, a reflection on the impact of COVID on the food system. And we have seen that there are a lot of Uh, impacts that are uh, systemic in nature. So what does uh, systemic crisis imply? It it implies that uh, the the hazard can strike on one point of the system, but uh, the effects can be uh, detected uh, very far from the point where the hazard hit. So um, in order to have a, a clear understanding this kind of hazard, we need to understand the system as a whole. So we need a system approach. And so we discovered that, uh, for example, European Union has not a food system policy. To, to tell the truth, the, the European Union has not a food policy. So something that goes from farm to fork. And actually, during our work, also the uh, farm to fork strategy uh, was published. And this was a welcome because actually there is a recognition that uh, system uh, shocks cannot be addressed with sectorial policies. And this opens Uh, a lot of uh, windows for research because so far research has been very much specialized. What we need now is a research that look at links between uh, different parts of the system. So this is, uh, in in our view, the first uh, um, uh, lesson learned from the COVID. The second lesson learned is that uh, we need then to prepare to shocks because uh, uh, this is not an unexpected event to tell the truth because a lot of people had already warned about uh, this uh, shock and also some other uh, epidemies occurred for example ebola etc but there are a lot of experts that uh, think in terms of pandemics but nevertheless uh, the system is not prepared. So it is important to prepare to, to, to understand how to anticipate shocks. And this in this case is a pandemic, but it, it could be something different, a climate shock, a, um, an, an earthquake, etc. And so we see that there are a lot of catastrophes in, in the history, in the recent history. So we need to anticipate them. 
we need to learn on how to cope with these shocks. So what to do when a shock uh, comes and how to recover. So uh, in terms of policy, it is important to build capacity to face shocks because shocks can occur, especially in times of climate change. And uh, what is important again is linking short-term responses to long-term goals. So one big question is, if we want to achieve our long-term goals and a shock uh, happens, what to do? And so, for example, this issue of building back better or even building differently uh, emerges as a, a very important uh, issue. And uh, so when we talk about innovation, I mean, the conversation usually turns to uh, chemical or technological innovation, but the report highlights a number of interesting biological innovations. So things like um, new microbiological processes for biorefineries, um, biodegradable packaging, and also the importance of agroecology, which ties into the kind of diversity of the food systems you were talking about before. Um, do you think that there is enough focus on biological innovation in the farming sector? We think that the biological innovation is a, is a game changer. And it can be a game changer for good, uh, for sure, because it provides a lot of possibilities, especially in the field of uh, microorganisms and of, uh, uh, for example, precision fermentations, etc., because it can address uh, some uh, gaps in the system. For example, the problem of alternative proteins or uh, non-animal, uh, let's say, food or uh, the the bio refineries, etc., and at the same time, the capacity to uh, to analyze the, uh, the, the genome and the uh, evolution of the uh, living matter is uh, something that it's, it's really very valuable. In the uh, light of the pandemic shocks or the systemic shocks, it is important to have a responsible approach to this biological innovation. And actually, the SCAR foresight report addresses the concept of responsible uh, research and innovation as a key principle for researchers, which means that, first of all, uh, research should be participated. So stakeholders of any kinds should be involved in the definition of the goals and of the, let's say, uh, activities of research. The second aspect is related to anticipation. So innovation is not good because it's new, but it's good because it solves uh, a societal problem. So in order to uh, to, let's say, uh, evaluate the validity of the, uh, the research, uh, its impact should be anticipated and reflected upon. And the third aspect of research, um, responsible research and innovation is the capacity of researchers, but also of um, research bodies and research institutions to reflect on the, uh, let's say, the effects that uh, 
uh, research can have on the on society, on the environment, etc., and be able to uh, deviate in case that uh, some of the risks are too high to be, uh, let's say, to, to be run. So I think that uh, it is important to frame biological innovation as any technological innovation within uh, a bigger societal uh, conversation where uh, also other aspects of innovation, for example, social innovation, organizational innovation are taken uh, into consideration at the same time. And also, um, the report highlights the the importance of uh, education, communication, uh, in a certain sense, not nudging consumers to eat uh, sustainably and uh, healthily. And for instance, the Commission's Farm to Fork strategy seems to rely on this aspect as well. So this is, of course, easier said than done. And, and there's a lot of misinformation surrounding healthy eating. So what concrete suggestions uh, does the report outline to promote any inform on uh, healthy eating and, and how, how this links uh, with a healthy uh, farming system? I think that on one side, we have a, a lot of scientific evidence now on uh, what a healthy diet is. And science is progressing a lot on this regard. And for example, we have several strong scientific papers that now link uh, nutrition to uh, planetary resources and indicate how it is possible to change diets without harming health, uh, actually to, to improve health. Uh, and at the same time, uh, keeping below the planetary boundaries. But at the same time, uh, there are a lot of controversies. So uh, it is clear that any nudging strategy should be based on a large consensus. And for this reason, we advocate for science policy interfaces where uh, or science policy and society interfaces where consensus emerges out of uh, a dialogue between uh, the scientific world, the policy world, and the societal world in, let's say, on the model of ICPCC on climate change or IPBES on biodiversity, etc. Because scientists need to listen to policymakers and to society and at the same time uh, they can have more legitimization and at the same time policy making can be uh, let's say carried out on the ground of scientific evidence but it is the dialogue between science and policies that makes progress uh, evident because in that case uh, the, the new uh, knowledge is applied to the constraints of reality. And in this case, forums on food are really uh, largely welcome because uh, with forums, you can create this consensus upon which you uh, create nudging strategies.
there's a flood of your institution, you know, here in Brussels, not only in Brussels, actually, uh, all across Europe. We have uh, contributed from uh, a member of one of these uh, this institutions is the uh, Committee of Regions uh, that basically represent uh, the interests of the uh, several parts, several areas of Europe. So there are representatives from, um, again, regions. Um, he's uh, Guillaume Croze. Uh, he comes from uh, the Regional Council of Occitane, Pyrenees and Mediterranean region in France, and he presented an opinion on agroecology, uh, which has been adopted by the uh, Committee of Regions Commission on Natural Resources, and uh, and now needs to be uh, adopted uh, at the plenary session of the European Committee of Regions, uh, which is scheduled uh, next week. So uh, we asked uh, to introduce us to his opinion on agroecology. The present pandemic has exposed the weaknesses of our globalist agriculture and food system. Agroecology going hand in hand with the development of sustainable local food systems will respond to our food security and environmental challenges. The role of regions and cities is crucial to promote this historical change. Agroecology is not just an agronomic approach. It is also social and territorial approach. Agroecology is linked with a fabric of small and middle farms, with free-range animal production, with much more trees, with local organic food, farmers' shops, local processing units. This will bring jobs to countryside and reconciliate farmers and consumers. Against global warming and biodiversity loss, agroecology will develop an agriculture in and with nature, which cares for living soils and long-term fertility. It will bring fresh and healthy products from farm to fork and dynamize our rural areas. Of course, along the Green Deal, agroecology should be fully integrated in the CAP reform. What are we waiting for? So that's all from us this week. And this week, uh, like every week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by your Active's AgriFood news team, Natasha Foote and Gerardo Fortuna, with technical support from Evie Curie. Be sure to subscribe to the AgriFood newsletter so that you don't miss the latest AgriFood news in the EU. The podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. That's all from us this week. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week.